At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. Nice Job can help you get the reputation you deserve. Nice Job's automated reputation marketing tools are easy to use and super effective. Collect two to three times more customer reviews and have the ability to share that social proof where it matters most. New signups can get $50 off when they mention the HVAC Know It All podcast. If you're looking to grow your small business, visit NiceJob at NiceJob.com. This podcast is sponsored by The Master Group and the latest demo that I did from The Master Group was the Yellow Jacket Wraparound Cylinder Heater, a very important tool if you're charging in low ambient conditions. Now, I what I did on I have a YouTube video actually that I I can put on the, to to the bottom of this in the podcast notes so you can see. Um, but I was charging in a low ambient situation, so before I even started the job, I brought the tank up to the, the the small little elevator room that leads to the roof and plugged in the tank heater so the tank started to pressurize and get warm. Now let me just state here that I have heard anecdotally that somebody got injured last year by dunking a tank into some warm water and something happened with the valves or something they blew off. This is anecdotal. I've tried to find an article on it, but this is reports coming from a a few different texts uh, online that this, this happened, but I can't verify it. But just, just to be cautious of this, dunking a tank in a bath of warm water there's no heat control and the entire tank is covered with warm water. And unless you have a, a gauge on that tank, you're not going to know what the pressure is and how fast it's rising. Okay. So the, the tank heater, just so you guys know, is self-regulated to 130 degrees Fahrenheit and it only wraps around a section of it. It doesn't cover the whole thing. Um, somebody was getting into a bit of a a discussion or semi-argument with me that in textbooks and in classes that he's been to in the early 2000s taught him to to dunk it in, in a bath of hot water. I disagree with this because of the reasons I said. The whole thing is covered. You have no heat control. And if you're not monitoring that pressure, who knows what could happen if that pressure rises too fast, if that tank has too much refrigerant in it. You don't know any of these things unless you have your gauge on it. And I get, and, and I've seen techs do this, mechanics in the past, dunk it in a bath of warm water without even monitoring the pressure. Anyway, I just wanted to bring that little tip up for you guys. Uh, check out master.ca. All these rules of thumb out there is probably responsible for a lot of undersized ducts. Okay. We're going to talk to Dr. Allison Bales from Energy Vanguard about residential duct design. We need to know a few things. We need to uh, calculate the load. We need to understand how much flow, airflow we need per room, how much CFM. That part there we're not going to talk about with, with Allison. We're going to talk about designing the duct once we have that information. And we need a few things to do that. What we need is available static pressure. We need to know our total effective length. And then we need to calculate our friction rate so we can line everything up on a duculator to get the correct duct size. These are the things and steps we're going to go through with Allison on the podcast right now. This is the HVAC Know It All podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. Welcome to the HVAC Know It All podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. Allison, so I, I got to start this conversation off with a question because I've always been curious about this. On your LinkedIn profile, it says you are the chief troublemaker at Energy Vanguard. What What is that all about? 
Well, um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I got a lot of a lot of comments about that title that I put there. Um, I, I put that there because several years ago, Joe Stebrick, a, uh, a former Canadian, lives in Massachusetts now and is a U.S. citizen now, said uh, I can't. There was some discussion on LinkedIn going on, and um, I said something, and he responded about how I was um, a well-known troublemaker and a general pain in the ass, or something like that. <laughs> So I thought, well, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna use that as my my title, Chief Troublemaker, Energy. There maker. you go. So, so you turn you turn that you turn that into some positive energy. I like that. Oh yeah, I like that. So what what actually do you do over at Energy Vanguard besides troublemaking? So, well, Energy Vanguard is my company. I started in 2008. There are four of us here now. Awesome. And we do HVAC design, residential HVAC design. We um, do jobs all over North America, and people send us their plans and specifications. We have a kickoff call with them to understand the project, and we get going on it, uh, send them the results, and have some, some back and forth usually at the end. That's uh, In the past couple of years, that's been probably about half to two-thirds of our business. And we used to do a lot of quality assurance for home energy raters and training for home energy raters. And we still do some training. We've gotten out of the, the quality assurance business for that. And um, we do some consulting. We get some advertising money from the blog and the newsletter that I do. I have a weekly newsletter, and the blog is at energyvanguard.com. Mm-hmm. I write usually about one article a week lately. Uh, so that's um, yeah and your articles are are really well written i think and and they're they're interesting and and you don't write with a, a boring tone you you have a very playful tone about about you when you write so i i enjoy that just just so you know yeah oh, thank you thank you yeah no no problem and that's that's what yeah, got so, us so, here today oh sorry go go on go on i didn't yeah, mean to I was just gonna say, <laughs> yeah so so you asked me what i do at energy vanguard so yes um correct I, I used to do some of the the hvac design work and um i don't do much of that right now I, in the last year and a half i've been writing a book which is almost done about to be sent off to the publisher and will be out this summer i hope in june it'll be in people's hands so that's going to be uh, an introduction to building science and the title is a house needs to breathe or does I like it, it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I would. I would love. I would love to get my hands on a, a copy in June when it when it comes out and have a read. So for all the 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 guys in a truck that have all the the windshield time, will it be on Audible or uh, will there be an Audible version of it? It would be hard to put it on Audible because it's gonna. There's gonna be a lot of images in the book. And, uh, I see. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Without the, I mean, you've read the blog, and and you know how important it is to be able to look at yes. the images to understand what I'm writing about. So the, the book is the same kind of thing. Yeah, I don't have plans for Audible, but who knows? I mean, maybe I could come up with a, a way to do that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I've I've listened to. I think I've torn through ten, twelve books on Audible in the last few months, and usually I don't do that because by the time I get home and settle down and try to read, my eyes are so tired and I just end up putting <laughs> putting the book down. And so Audible's really been a, a godsend to me. But we got here today because of, um, and, and I'll tell you the story why I got here or, or how we got here to this conversation. Like I've always paid attention to your blogs and stuff like that. And I always thought it would be a cool thing to have you on onto the podcast. But what really sparked it was a, a debate with a, a former coworker of mine who's a friend about and I don't know a hell of a lot about duct design because I've never done it right, but I know some things, and it was just a debate on using rules of thumb and why rules of thumb can get you into trouble. And he was adamant that this rule of thumb has always worked for him, and he's been told by many people in the industry that this rule of thumb will always work no matter what. And then then I looked some stuff up on duct design and rules of thumb, and your articles came up the five. Uh, articles and series with each other, and and after I read them, I'm like this is this is really interesting. I, I got to message him and see if he wants to talk about this on the podcast. So that's how we got here. So before we get into these sort of five areas of residential duct design, what do you think about rules of thumb? Are you okay with them to get you in the ballpark, or do you think they should be omitted altogether? Well, rules of thumb are useful sometimes, and if um, as long as you do commissioning at the end, I mean, you know what really matters is with air distribution systems, forced air distribution is are you getting the right amount of air to the rooms? 
And um, if you have some kind of rules of thumb that work and get you there, then more power to you. It's really difficult to do that, especially in more complex projects. Mm-hmm. So, and and especially if you're using FlexDuct and doing all kinds of crazy things with it, which people do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not going to say rules of thumb can't work, but to to say that rules of thumb will always work, uh, I I have a lot of trouble believing that. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So we have five headings here, and I'll just go through them quickly for the audience so they know what we're gonna we're gonna tackle here. Principles of duct design. Available static pressure, total effective length, calculating friction rate, and sizing the ducts. Those are, to your recollection, correct as far as those articles go, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So let's start off with principles of duct design. Like, what what are some basic fundamentals that we should be focusing on before we start? Well, so we're we're moving air through pipes, uh, through ducts. So one of the the most important things to understand is that, you know, it's hard to grasp sometimes because we live in the stuff in air and, you know, like a fish in water, it seems invisible to us. But air has mass, it has weight, and it it takes energy and work to move it through ducts. Um, Mm -hmm. When we put a a blower, uh, when we, we have a blower and we put ducts on it, it takes work to push that air through the ducts and pull it through the return side. So that's that's one of the first things to know. Mm-hmm. And the uh, another important thing to know is that the ducts have resistance, and the resistance depends on the kind of materials that the air is is rubbing up against. You know whether it's a sheet metal duct on the inside. So, you know, it depends on whether it's a sheet metal duct that the air is moving through or rigid fiberglass ductboard or flex duct with a plastic liner that has the wire helical support. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's friction as the, as the air moves against that surface. There's friction. And that's, that's one of the things that we get at. And it's uh, in the total effective length that effect is captured. And then there's turbulence. So there, there's two basic things that we have to understand in terms of, you know, how much work is it going to take? How much energy is it going to take to, to push the air through the ducts to, uh, and pull it on the return side? And one is the friction. So, the, you know, the air is, is in contact with these surfaces and you know, how much friction is there in that contact. And the other is how much turbulence is generated inside the ducts. And you get turbulence whenever you try to turn the air or when you split the air, or if you put anything into the airstream, like a balancing damper, yeah, all those things create turbulence. And you, you want to minimize turbulence and you want to minimize friction. And that's, that's what uh, good duct design gets you. Yeah. And it was funny because I, I always think about this and there's a lot of people out there that think pressure and flow are, are the same thing. And, and, I, and I, I once looked this up, I'm like, what's the difference between pressure and flow? And I guess pressure is, is basically resistance to flow. When you have resistance to flow, you get pressure. And like you said, turbulence, uh, resistance, you're going to start getting added pressure in, in a system, right? Yeah. Uh, let me, let me um, talk about what you just said there a little bit. Pressure and resistance are, are not exactly the same thing. And, and it, it gets confusing because we talk about resistance in duct systems in terms of pressure drop. So in physics, pressure is a force per unit area. It's, it's you know, th- think about a balloon. You've got air inside the balloon and it's pushing outward against the surface of the balloon. Yeah. And on the outside of that balloon, you also have pressure. We don't think about that part, but, the, you know, there's air pushing both ways. And that's why the, the surface of that balloon is in equilibrium, because you've got balanced pressure there. Same inside a duct, except now we have moving air. So we've got some other stuff going on there. It's not just static. We have some dynamic things going on there. And um, we've got so there's static pressure. Even in moving air, there is a static pressure. And that static pressure is the thing that we use to talk about the resistance in the duct system. You know, how much does the static pressure change as, as the air moves through the duct system, as it, as it turns, as it goes past the balancing damper, as it goes through this, this uh, 20-foot straight section of ductwork? You've got all these things, and, and, the, and the static pressure is dropping all along the way. So pressure and resistance are related, but they're not quite the same. Yeah, okay. 
Cool. So when you just said they're they're static, even though the air is moving, they're still static and moving air. What what do you mean by that? Can you explain the the difference between static and like? Are you just saying that if something's pressurized and not moving, it's still got static pressure, but you can still have something that's moving like air and still create static? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So think about uh, you know a straight section of ductwork. And the air is moving from one end to the other end of this straight section of ductwork. You think about the pressure as being in the direction of the flow, right? The pressure is what's pushing it along. But there's also pressure. So I'm, I'm, th- I'm thinking about the, the supply duct system now, where the air is going out from the blower towards the supply vents to be distributed to the house. In that section of straight ductwork, you know, there's pressure pushing it through the, the duct. But if we have a hole in the side of the duct, so that's perpendicular to the flow, but air can still come out of that hole. And that's the static pressure that pushes it out of that hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's, there's static pressure on, on all the surfaces of the duct, whether there's a hole there or not. There is static pressure on the surface of the duct. And there's also velocity pressure, which is, yep. you know, if, if you put your hand right in front of the airstream, that's what you feel hitting your hand. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So... Now that we've covered some some fundamentals here, um, turbulence and friction and stuff like that, available static pressure. Now, that could be confusing to some people because what, what do you mean by, like, I thought static pressure is just putting your manometer and putting your, your tube into the duct, your static pressure tip or whatever you got. I thought that's static, but available static pressure, what, what is that? Yeah. Um, so, uh, well... We actually have to back up a little bit again because there, there, you know, sure. there's another fundamental sure. issue here. So we have we have a, a blower, and the amount of air flow that we get from that blower depends on how much resistance it's pushing against. So if we just have a an air handler with a blower and we don't attach any ductwork to it, so that that blower is just blowing air straight out into the open atmosphere. There's no resistance against it except whatever the you know, open air offers, which we're going to say is zero. So that's when you're going to get the maximum airflow. You start attaching ductwork to that blower, and you've got resistance. So now the the blower is pushing against some resistance, and the more resistance you put in front of that blower, the less airflow you're going to get. So there's mm-hmm. these things called the fan curves that will show you how much airflow you're going to get for a certain amount of resistance, and the resistance we can measure in terms of the the static pressure. Across the blower. Okay. So as we increase that pressure across the blower, we increase the resistance and we decrease the airflow. Gotcha. So we designed duct systems for a, uh, you know, a particular pressure drop, uh, you know, total external static pressure, that's mm-hmm. the full name for it, across the, the blower. And uh, I mean, let's take 0.5 inch of static, or inches of water column. Uh, you work with inches of water mm-hmm. column. Where you are? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So in the HVAC industry, the inch of water column is, is a unit of pressure. It has, um, the standard air handler you know, might be rated for you know, the, the airflow at a half inch of, of water column. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you have to have a half inch of water column of pressure drop across the, the blower. It just means that if you have that much pressure drop across the blower, you're going to get this much airflow. If you have less uh, total external static pressure across the blower, you're going to get more airflow. If you have more static pressure, you're going to get less airflow. So can, let's can say I, we're can I, pa- with- can I, can I, sorry, can I pause you for one second? Because some people get confused sure. with static pressure and total external static pressure. So we should just clarify what total external static pressure is. And basically, we're just taking a static pressure of the return and the supply and adding it together, right? Yeah, sort of. Yes, sort, you, you so, sort of. And, so what, well, yeah, adding it together, I know you're going to get a negative number there. Like, let's say it's 0. 0.25 on the supply and negative 0. 0.25 on the return. I mean, yeah, you're sort of going to add those together to get 0. 0.5, like in, in a roundabout way. All right, quick break here, guys. Manufacturer's warranties and then the extended warranty that you can purchase after the fact. I've bought them before. I've declined them before. There was one washing machine that will go unmentioned that I um, declined, and I wish I did because it cost me more in the long run because the amount of problems we had with it. Uh, JB Warranties offers extended warranties outside of the manufacturer's warranty for your customers. 
if if they want to go that route. Now they work with thousands of partners in the within the industry. Uh, they have labor reimbursement, and the claim turnaround time is around like fourteen days or something like that, right? So they pay you and the customer. Um, they're happy because they they have something under warranty past the manufacturer's warranty, and we all know that manufacturer's warranty sometimes isn't enough. Anyway, if you guys are interested in offering that to your customers, reach out to JB Warranties. Company Cam is a platform that allows you to get on a job site and document what's going on via images, video, notes that all land in the exact same place. So anybody that wants to get information on the job, the managers, uh, the, the techs working on the site, uh, the installers working on the site, or you can show it to your customers. Hey, timestamp GPS photos of progress of that job. And it's always there. It's not, it doesn't take up any space on your phone either. It's all, uh, in the cloud. So if you're interested in organizing your jobs in that fashion, keeping all the files in one area, no texting, no emailing back and forth, so on and so forth, um, check out company cam. Um, on a recent edition of a Dakin head, I use some of the, some of the tools that I've talked about on this podcast and it, it was awesome just to, to use this technology. I had to extend some piping that was roughed in by another contractor. So I used the rapid locking system, uh, tool, uh, the, the clocky tool that came with the kit that I've got and used that super awesome. The Navac NEF 6LM battery-powered flaring tool, use that to flare them in, and Nylog, Nylog on on the flare seat, and then my yellow jacket torque wrench to torque the nuts to spec according to the manual. This is, Nylog's been around for a, a long time, okay, since like the 90s, but a lot of people are just hearing about it now. Um, I've never had a leak on a flare when using Nylog, and even the best flares I put Nylog on because over time, there's expansion, contraction, so on and so forth that can cause that, that seat to, to have a bit of a gap there where you can get micro leaks. That nylog helps seal that up. That's the whole purpose of it. Now, all the other tools are technology that has advanced through time. RLS rapid locking system is an alternative to brazing. Um, the Navac battery powered flaring tool is, is amazing. By the way, if you do a ton of flares, it's really worth having because it prevents uh, wear and tear on your wrist and your arm from twisting. And, and then we have the torque wrench, right? There's torque specs in a manual for a reason. And if you don't go by them, you can have, you can have potential leaks unless you're really good at those Ugadugas that a lot of people call them online when you're tightening up. Anyway, guys, I just wanted to inform you that these these tools are, are available. They're awesome. The product Nylog is also awesome. But let's get back to Allison. Just quickly, guys, before we get back to Allison, the articles here that we're following within this conversation, I'm going to leave the link to the first one in the podcast notes here. And then at the bottom of the first article, there's going to be links to the other articles. And I suggest you read them. They're short. They're not long. They're short. I suggest you read them if you want to hone your skills on duck sizing. Yeah. So what you're really doing is you're getting the difference in pressure across the whole box, the whole air, air handle. Mm-hmm. You've got 0.25 on one side. You've got negative 0.25 on the other side. If you subtract 0.25 minus a negative 0.25, it's like adding. So you're, yeah. you're subtracting, subtracting a negative number is the same thing as adding is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So and, and let me clarify a little bit more because, yeah, we get very sloppy with the terminology here. Total external static pressure is the correct term for this thing we're talking about right now. Across the air handler, you know, let's say you rated for 0.5 to get the airflow that you want, and that's that pressure difference that you just talked about. When we talk about static pressure, really that could be a measurement anywhere in your duct system. You can put a hole in the duct system, put a static pressure probe in there, measure the pressure difference between the inside of the duct and outside the duct right there at that point. Mm-hmm. And that will tell you the you know, that's the static pressure at that point. Mm-hmm. But the pressure difference between the inside of the duct and the outside of the duct is not the most important thing to us. What we care about is pressure drops inside the duct at various points. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the main one that we care about the, uh, first is the total external static pressure. That's the pressure difference across the air handler. So, and I'm saying we get sloppy with the terminology sometimes. Total external static pressure is that specific pressure difference that we're talking about. 
a lot of times when we say static pressure, we're talking about total external static pressure, but static pressure is more general, could mean just about anything. Yeah, that's why I wanted to clarify just so everybody was on the same page. So how do we find out what our available static pressure is? Okay, so available static pressure. So let, let's say we've got this blower and we are working to um, to make sure that we get the airflow with uh, with a half inch of of total external static pressure. The first part of the duct design process, and this, there are different ways of designing duct systems. The process that I'm talking about here and that, that I talked about in those articles is the process described in Manual D from the Air Conditioning Contractors of America, ACCA. We have our, our half-inch water column of pressure that we're working with across the air handler. To figure out what size ductwork we need, we want to know how much pressure is available to move the air through the ducts, which means we want to subtract off the pressure drops that we know we're going to get from all the other non-duct items. So the big one, of course, is the filter. You've got a filter in there somewhere, either in a grill at the end of the return run or runs or at the air handler. And there's um, often a pretty big pressure drop across the filter because they're often way too small. <laughs> Yeah, the um, um, ACCA ACA and Manual D says to use 0.1 inch of water column across the the filter. So we've got a tenth of an inch across the filter um, that we're going to subtract off from our 0.5. Okay, makes sense. So now we're down to 0.4, and we want to subtract off any other pressure drops that are not related to the actual duct sizing. And that would be the uh, balancing dampers, the grills and registers at the ends of the duct runs, anything that we put into the airstream. Um, if you have a furnace and you've got a, an air conditioning coil attached to it, the coil is usually not included in the, the airflow ratings that come with the total external static pressure for the, the unit. So you, th- that would be an external pressure drop, and so you'll want to include that. So we subtract off all the non-duct pressure drops, and we get our available static pressure. So that's, that's the pressure that's left for designing our duct system. And if we're starting with 0.5 and, and let's say, a, a heat pump, then we're usually going to end up around 0.3 because, you know, drop, you know, the pressure drop for the filter and then the balancing dampers and the grills and registers is going to give us, get, get us down to about 0.3. Okay. So that's why we call it available static pressure because it's what's left to work with, right? Yep. Okay. Perfect. So we've got that. So now we have to, next in line, according to your articles, we got to plot out, or I guess we'd have to make a drawing first of, of the way the duct is sort of going to get routed around the home and, and, and that, and then find out what our total effective length would be. Yeah. So we, um, going to lay out the duct system, you know, decide where the grills and registers are going to go. And then we got to connect the air handler to all those grills and registers. And there's a lot of different, I mean, there's an infinite number of different ways you could do that. Yeah. You can have a radial system where every grill and register is a home run and it goes back to the air handler, to the plenums. You can have a trunk and branch system where you have trunk lines that go out and then branches that go to the different uh, registers and grills. You can have combinations. Uh, so a lot of times with radial systems, every grill and register isn't a home run. You'll have you'll have a um, a run coming off of the plenum, and then you'll they'll put a Y in it or or a, uh, a junction box, and it'll split to go off to more than one register. Could I ask you a question as as you're on that topic? Just before I forget, because I feel like it's it might be important. It's important to me, but it might be important to other people who have the same sort of design. So the way a lot of these systems are designed here that I've seen anyway, where I am in Toronto, is that you have a return uh, duct coming down into your furnace, but it's the used joist liner along the, um, the, the joist of the, the basement. And basically, there's, there's actually no duct. It's just they're using the, the joist cavity, and they're just blanking it off with joist liner to move that air through the, the home. Do you see that a lot or no? 
when I was in Toronto several years ago, I saw, I think, exactly what you're talking about. And, and in fact, what they did is, you know, I think it was like uh, foil-faced cardboard. They It looked like it was just stapled to the joist. So they, they've panned a joist with, you know, this long section of joist. Uh, yeah. Is that what you're talking about, this foil-faced cardboard? Yeah, well, it's it's actually, it's it's not cardboard. It's actually like a, a very thin gauge metal and it's called joist liner like you can buy it at home depot it's just called joist liner and 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 they just and they they just bang it up um on the joist and they create these these um sort of uh i guess airways through the home just by blanking off sections of of uh studs and joists to to create this this pathway yeah i have seen that um and the thing about doing that is if if the whole uh joist bay is not lined with an, an approved duct material, then you may end up getting a lot of leakage. You may end up getting that joist not respect or you know that that duct not respected by other contractors who come and drill holes, don't know it's a duct. And you know, yeah. if if what you're talking about is all they do is they cover the open part of the joist, but they don't line the whole thing and they don't indicate somehow that it, you know, this is a, a duct, don't drill through this, then those things can often end up being very leaky and uh, mm-hmm. you know in, in a finished uh, conditioned basement you know that not terrible and although you, you know you may not be getting the airflow the way you want it in an unconditioned basement or crawl space or an attic i mean you, you guys don't do crazy stuff like that i know but <laughs> <laughs> okay well what well- I just wanted to ask you if you if you've seen that, and, and it, it, you bring up a good point about leakage and other people banging banging holes out and stuff like that. So now back to total effective length. So we we've sort of drawn out our system and figured out where things are going to go. And now we got to measure our total effective length. And I don't think a lot of people understand that it's not just measuring the length of the run; it's also including the fittings and finding out what straight length equivalent length like an elbow would be or or like a a y or something like that right yeah the total effective length tel it's often abbreviated is the sum of two things it's the the sum of the straight lengths of all your ductwork so you, you know let's say you've got a hard pipe system you've got uh, let's say a 15 foot section of of eight inch hard pipe right here and then you've got an elbow on it and then you've got another four foot section of, of of hard pipe and then it goes into a boot so you've got two sections of of regular duct and then you've got an elbow and you've got a boot just in that little piece i was talking about there your total effective length well um, what did i say 15 feet for the uh for the duct and then four feet for another section something like that let's say let's say you've got 19 feet of straight duct right there and you've got one elbow and one boot well, the, the elbow could be 15, 20, or 30 feet, depending on what kind of elbow you use, of equivalent length. The, and that, what that means is when the air is moving through a straight duct, there is a pressure drop just because of the resistance in that straight duct. When it goes through a fitting, there's more pressure drop because whenever you turn the air uh, or split it or do anything with a fitting, you introduce some turbulence, and so there's there's more pressure drop there than in the straight runs. And the resistance of fittings is characterized by what's called the equivalent length. So, you know, this elbow, say, might have an equivalent length of 20 feet. You've got 19 feet of straight duct there on either side of the elbow, and you've got 20 feet of equivalent length in the elbow itself. So even even though the the elbow might be only a, a foot in actual length or less, the equivalent length is is much greater because of the extra resistance that you get there. Mm-hmm. And to to get our total equivalent length, we need to find out that one run that has got the biggest total equivalent length, right? Yeah, there's something called the critical path, and so th- this is actually more of a an artifact of the doing things by hand when people had to calculate all this stuff out on paper before we had computers to do everything for us and software, you would look for the, the, um, the run with the greatest total effective length. So you, you, know, you add up every single run, you know, the, the total effective length in every single run, and you look for the one that's the longest. And then that's your total effective length. The total effective length, this is, this is a confusion sometimes that people have. It, it, it's not the total effective length of every single run in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the total effective length of the most resistive 
run in the duct system. Gotcha. Cool. Okay. So we've got a couple of things that we need to calculate friction rate, right? So we've got our total effective length. And, and is there anything else before that, before we calculate friction rate? Well, this is just adding on to what I was just saying there, I didn't quite finish, I guess. Oh, okay. Um, so the, <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, no, I, no, I just remembered I, I didn't finish. Um, so the, um, the total effective length of the critical path is the, the old-fashioned way of doing it, I'm saying. Okay. But with software now, we, we can actually – so the way, the way it used to be done is you'd calculate the, the, you know, the, the critical path, the total effective length of the critical path, the most resistive run. And you would use that to calculate your friction rate, and then you'd use that friction rate to size all the duct runs. But now with software, we can calculate the actual total effective length for each path and have a different friction rate for each, each run. So that gets into the friction rate. So maybe I should have waited until after we talked about friction rate. So the friction rate, now we've, we've talked about available static pressure and total effective length. So the available mm-hmm. static pressure is, is you know, the, the force we've got to push the air through the duct system after we've subtracted off the pressure drops for the non-duct parts. Now, the, um, the total effective length tells us about the resistance. And the friction rate is the, the quotient of those two. We divide the available static pressure by the total effective length, and that gives us this thing called the friction rate. And we usually multiply by 100 to make the numbers more convenient so we don't have so many numbers after the decimal. I mean, so many zeros after the decimal before we get to the actual fun part of the, dump, the number. But it's, uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's basically just available static pressure divided by the total effective length. Okay. So that's coming full circle to the, the off the top of the, the discussion here, how my friend was saying rule of thumb. And the rule of thumb he always used for supply size duct was uh, a 0.1 friction rate and i remember in in the i think in the article you wrote i think you actually or one of the one of those articles in the series i think you actually pegged 0.1 as a as a something that a lot of people pick as a rule of thumb yeah um, i i haven't seen this but uh, you know one one thing that um the way that people do duct design is with this uh, thing called a ductulator or a duct calculator. A ductulator, yeah, yeah, and it's uh, you know it's usually round, but you, they they make them rectangular as well, and and you rotate the um, the wheel and the ductulator to match up the airflow that you have with the friction rate, and that tells you what size duct you need to use, and and you know, and also you look at what velocity. Velocity is another factor that you want to pay attention to, so. What your friend was saying is that um, you know point one is your friction rate, so that just avoids the whole calculation of of available static pressure and total effective length. So you, it's a shortcut, and not every duct system has a, a friction rate of point one. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. it's point oh seven, sometimes it's it's point one two, and you know th- that's generally the the range that is acceptable for the friction rate point. 0.06 to 0.12, something like that. Interesting. Okay, so you um, you brought up the ductulator, and I'm just going to my phone here because I just downloaded a very cool one that I just wanted to let everybody know about. It's actually called Duct, D-U-C-T. Um, it's really easy to use. It's super simple. And I paid $12.99 for it, uh, just a one-time fee, but now it's on my phone forever, and I don't have to because I never know. I've got an old ductulator. I've ne- I never know where it is if I just want to like look at stuff. <laughs> so now it's right there on my phone. Oh yeah, yeah. Now with apps, we you know we don't need those old tools. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, we we've got this we've got this friction rate number now. So now it's on to the actual sizing of the runs. So right. what, what are we doing with that? Yeah, and, and, and let me let me say a little bit more about friction rate because friction rate. Sure. I mean, when I, I said it, it's the available static pressure divided by the total effective length. So, if you think about what that gives us, it's giving us a pressure drop per foot or pressure drop per hundred feet is usually the way it's stated because we multiply by a hundred. Yeah, the the inches of water column of pressure drop per hundred feet. So the point one um, that's often used that's that means a tenth of an inch of pressure drop. A tenth of an inch of water column of pressure drop for each 100 feet of total effective length in the duct system. So that means if you've got a duct system that has a total effective length of 300 feet, you're going to have a pressure drop of 0.3. And if our available static pressure is 0.3, then that should work. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
so now if, if we have like let's say we did this this old school way and, and we're not using the the we're not cheating with software um we can talk about software in a minute because I, I found it interesting you said that each run has its own friction rate but if we're doing it the old school way like you were talking about in your in your article here would we just take the, the each run that we've drawn out on our drawing take the friction rate find out how much because obviously like we i guess to back up a bit we we need to know the cfm that's required per, per run to go to each room first right and then we we use that to, to line up on the the duculator yeah so there's um there's a, a lot of uh, a lot of research built into this. A lot of a lot of studies looking at airflow through different kinds of ducts and different size ducts and at different velocities. And so they, they've been able to tabulate all these data and figure out you know how much airflow you're going to get for a certain size duct with certain friction rate and stuff. And so that's that's what goes into the sizing of it next. And once you know the friction rate. And and the airflow that you're you're trying to get, the, um, you can figure out you know what the size duct will get you there because the smaller the duct you put on it, the higher the velocity, the the greater the the pressure drop you're going to get. So all that all that stuff plays into it. So it's clear as it's clear as mud, right, Allison? Just yeah. <laughs> simple stuff, right? So let me ask you this then: if if there's this whole procedure to do this why are so many homes like in my house i've just realized this recently and i've said this on this podcast numerous times over the last month and a half or so why are so many homes with undersized duct like how do they get it to the point where it's close but it's just not right like what is it is it because of rules of thumb that this is happening probably and also seeing mostly rigid duct in your area sheet metal duct yeah rigid yeah there's no i i in the homes that I've lived in or my family, friends' homes, I, I don't really see any flex duct. It's all rigid yet. Yeah. Flex is, is what everybody uses down here just about. And, and the, you know, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. And in the South, it's, it's flex in most places. In Florida, actually, they use a lot of ductboard, rigid fiberglass ductboard. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not crazy about that one. Um, and I'm not crazy about the way most flexes run. I, I am. I'm not one of those people who hates flex duct, but getting to your, your question, what happens in, in houses, because a lot of times the ducts are just installed, there's, there's no real calculations behind the design. They're using rules of thumb or, or they're just eyeballing it and you know, thinking about you know, what they think might work there. Or they're saying, oh, this room, without any load calculation or anything, they're saying, oh, this, this room uh, is going to need 200 CFM, and so we're going to need an eight-inch duct or you know, whatever their, their rule of thumb is. And then they throw in a, a flex duct, or they put in a, a rigid duct, and they put in a, a really bad fitting. So there, there's more resistance than they think there is, and you know, that changes the friction rate and, and everything. So they end up with duct systems that don't move the air as well as they should. And, and so one thing I think that happens is they compensate by oversizing systems. At least that's the case down here in the Southeast in the U.S. There's a lot of contractors will oversize the system so they have a bigger blower because the ducts are too restrictive. So they put a bigger blower on and, <laughs> and that sort of fixes things almost but not very well. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a bad way to do things. But if you come back later and and right size the system, you may be able to sometimes salvage the duct system because you know the duct system was undersized for the for the previous system, but it may be right sized for the current system. I see. Okay, that that makes sense. But now, but, but now, I just want to caution anybody listening. Yeah. Don't take that to heart and and say, oh, well, I, I can just replace my system, put a smaller system in, and the ducts will work fine. Well, I, I've got contractor friends who do this right and say that almost every time they go into a house, the duct system needs to be completely replaced if they want it to work really well. So Wow, that's crazy. So that I, I'm going to tell you about what, what I just had to do in, in my home. And I had Bob Toner from AVX on. Uh, AVX is like a new product that just launched that allows you to monitor 
um, what's going on with your system and you can remote test and stuff like that. And, and I've never come home and, and I've done a Delta T across my furnace. I mean, it's just not something that I've ever done. So I installed this and I noticed that, um, or actually Bob notified me and said, Hey, your, your furnace is going into high temperature, like supply, the temperature, the supply is getting up to 150. And I looked into it. Yeah. It was like 75 degree Delta T across the furnace out of spec. So I just started to look into a few more things and going around the house and realizing, yeah, my bathroom is always cold in my bedroom. The bed, my bedroom's always cold. Um, the rest of the house seems okay. And then I started looking at the ducts going up to that section and they're five inch, but the other ducts are six inch that are going to the upstairs. And I'm like, why is that? So, and I can't get to them because they're buried. Be- I can get to them in the basement in the open ceiling, but behind the wall and stuff, I can't get to them unless I open up the wall for the vertical runs. So what I did is I put a, a booster fan on the one that goes to the bathroom and got me more airflow. I think if I remember correctly, it was, I went from 44 to 75 CFM at that one grill in, in the bathroom. So that bathroom warmed up actually. And uh, my Delta T dropped across the furnace. So what do you think about using booster fans as a as a, as a way to rectify issues with chronic duct systems if you can't replace all of the duct, like the, the customer can't afford to do something like that? Well, I'm, I'm not in the contracting business, and we don't ever do that in our design business because most mm-hmm. of our design business is either new houses or houses where they're putting in all new ducts. I mean, occasionally, we will take on a job, and we always regret it, where somebody is wanting to uh, retrofit the duct system or just, um, you know, keep part of it and it always is uh not a very fun job for us <laughs> so <laughs> i mean i i think what you're talking about there can work in some cases and and it you know it, it's a, a retrofit that can save you from opening up a wall sometimes but it's it's not the ideal way to fix it yeah well uh, uh, yes F- fixing it the right way would would be the most beneficial and, and ideal way to do it I just, I wanted to experiment to see if it would work. And then I, when I posted online what I had done, the feedback I got from a ton of contractors was, yeah, we do this quite a bit actually to solve some chronic issues in it. And it really works for us. Like if we can't replace the duct just because it's too expensive or it's not really um, practical in, in that situation because of tearing down walls and stuff like that. So I just wanted to get your take on it. But I've, I've seen... I've seen a difference from doing so. So I, I just thought it would be cool to um, to experiment with it. And, and it's kind of worked out for me to this point anyway. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of our problems can be solved by throwing more energy at them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing. Yeah, now I have more energy running because I got this booster fan on. But yeah, I, I, I get your point. So, well, as as far as we've gone through the five articles here, is there any, oh yeah, that's what, that's what we're going to talk about just real quick. The software, are you using WriteSoft when you say software or using something else? Yeah, we use um, WriteSuite Universal from WriteSoft and it's a good program. We, um, I mean, there's, there are two main companies out there making residential HVAC design software. WriteSoft is one of them, Elite is the other, and there's a bunch of other smaller companies, but the, I, those are the two main ones, Elite and WriteSoft. We use WriteSoft. Cool. And you're saying that when you use that program, it actually gives you different friction rates per per run when you're designing on that software? Yeah. In the duck preferences, on the duck preferences, you can check the box to uh, have it calculate the friction rate for each run. Interesting. Is that beneficial to, to do that? Because, I mean, do you see much of a change? Can you see one run have a friction rate of like 0.7 and the other one be like 0.9 or like some crazy like number that, that's off? Or not not that high. I guess it would be 0. 0.08 and 0. 0.09, I meant to say, right? Yeah. I don't, there, God, you know, now that you say that, there must be a place in the software somewhere where you can look up the friction rate for each run, but I don't know that I've seen it. The friction rate that it it just shows you the friction rate for each each blower for each air handler, but if you check that box, maybe there's a report that you can run. I haven't I haven't run that report if it if it does exist. Hmm, cool. Well, that that's one of the th- the next things I'm going to tackle here is is looking at some software and hopefully get one of the the people from 
right soft on or somebody that has a lot of experience with it just so we can talk yeah. about that on, on the on the on the show i've got the perfect person for you alex meany you know what it's i was gonna say i bet you you're like the fourth person that has said that name to me because he just went off he just started his own or his own yeah. sort of consulting company right yeah he was with right soft for a long time uh gosh close to two decades i think if not two decades, because I I had a class with him. You know, he, he taught a class that I was in in 2007, I think. So he's been he was with Wrightsoft for a long time, and he just just at the end of last year, just a couple months ago, he left Wrightsoft and started his own training company. So nice. yeah, he, he's great. He's it really. I mean, yeah, he'd be a great guest for your show. Awesome, cool. All right. Well, I mean. Allison, if there's anything else you want to throw at us, I mean, now's the time because we, we've gone at this for almost an hour and you've given us a lot of good information. And, and, and I think hope, hopefully we can change the rule of thumbers out there to actually go in and, and, and do things properly so we don't have to put booster fans in at a later date. But if there's anything else that you think is important, be my guest to throw it in there. Well, we could uh, talk about the whole issue of designing ducks for low static air handlers like you know th- that are rated for like 0.16 or or 0.2 inches of water column instead of 0.5 or 0.8 and you know that's in the uh you know like the um, inverter driven heat pumps the, there are a bunch of low static air handlers and that's what i have in my house i have the mitsubishi uh low two low static air handlers in my conditioned attic but that's i mean that's a whole other show right there yeah <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it would be. That's that's opening it up another can of worms. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, may, maybe we'll do. Um, well, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to throw a dart at one of your um, your blogs, and maybe we can get together and, and talk about something else that's cool and exciting in the industry. Sure, sure. Be happy to. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you for your time tonight, Allison. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Great talking with you, Gary. I'm hoping this conversation led you guys away from that rule of thumb sizing and maybe implement some proper sizing in the future. Anyway, guys, thank you, Allison. Thank you once again to the Master Group. I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.